Welcome to Grief and Gratitude. We are a podcast put on by Coffee and Grief. We're a mom-daughter team who talks about grief. I'm Annie Gudger, and this is my amazing daughter, Maria Gibson. For me, grief is transformative. I'm a firm believer, and we don't just need to stay stuck in the hard parts. Grief is one of life's certainties. It allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. This is not a prescription. We're just offering a little bit of hope. We always like to start by saying, grab your coffee and let's talk. So today on Grief and Gratitude, we are super delighted and privileged to have Monica Welty join us. She is a lovely, just a lovely human being, a beautiful writer and someone who's making a difference in the world with her grief words. Even as a young person, Monica Welty knew she wanted her career to help others feel better. This desire has translated into a 20 year career in holistic health, including work in massage, fitness, nutrition and life coaching. In 2013, Monica's life took a sharp turn when her, her newborn son, Harvey, died unexpectedly. Since then, she openly writes and shares about the realities of grieving in the hopes of reaching others who feel alone in their grief and to be part of a cultural shift around death and loss. She is a mom, stepmom, and partner to her three favorite ladies, two tiny dogs, and one grumpy cat. You can find her writing on The Manifestation and at harveythehero.com on several podcasts, including Risk, STFU, and The Deeper Pulse, and at etherealwellnessboutique.com for bodywork in Portland, Oregon that includes grief massage. Please welcome Monica. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so happy you're here. And so um, Monica is going to start by reading uh, this beautiful piece that she wrote, and then we'll be in conversation with her. A recipe for grief soup. The first ingredient is love. Not just any love, big love. Love you can't live without. Love that is sustenance. Love that would have been roasted marshmallows and kisses on skin knees and getting out of bed time after time, night after night. Love that would have been little feet cozy in a plush dinosaur onesie, motorboat bubbles in the bathtub, holding a small trembling hand at the doctor's office. Love that has to be processed now. Braise it, butcher it, grill it, ferment it, or simply let it sit on the counter collecting particles from the air night after night for a week until it's a whole new thing. You can process your love any way you want, as long as the molecular structure is different than when you started, as long as it's unrecognizable. Additionally, you have to be able to recognize it. It must still hold its original essence, still have ease and joy, but in this new way, melded with these new flavors of smoke or sour or bland. Our palates are adaptable. You'll get used to it. Even though it's like how cilantro is to some people or beets or anchovies, You'll long for the umami and sweetness of before. For years, maybe even forever, you'll wish it would taste like it used to, but it won't. However, you might start to like some of the flavors of this new love. In fact, I guarantee you will. It just takes repetition and participation and time. Time is the second ingredient. 
I don't have any idea how much though. So you're just gonna have to wing it. Channel your Italian grandmother reaching under the counter for a giant mug of green hued olive oil and pouring it straight into a frying pan of bell peppers and onions. Say to yourself what she used to say when you asked her, about how much, Graham? Say to yourself, oh, I don't know, about like this. And then start humming the tune she used to sing while she was cooking, the one her mom sang and her mom. Oh, I don't know, say to yourself, and let the sound linger in the air, like the scent of those peppers or the way your name sounded on her voice. Say to yourself as you slowly pour time into your pot, as you shrug your shoulders and lean your body against life's uncertainty, say, about like this. Stir, love and time, love and time together, swirling in soft spirals. You can do it just a little or a lot. You can lazily stir as you stare out the kitchen window at the crow pecking at something in your backyard, or you can get out your biggest metal whisk and whip with a fury until the muscles near your elbow seize and you have to grasp them with your other hand. Need the aching muscles with your other thumb. You'll probably need to cry now. Now is the perfect time to cry because next we need to add tears. Again, I'm sorry, but I have no exact me measurement here. All I know is it's a lot. Maybe not a whole ocean, maybe just a river or a lake, but maybe an ocean. It all depends. Early on, this will be easy because the tears just spill out of you like a faucet carelessly left on all day in a steady, unending stream. Wasted tears, running up your water bill by your neglect. Tears that have cost you so much. Tears that come like this for weeks and months until your cheeks prune and your eyelids nearly burst open from their saturation. Cry as much as you need, as many bodies of water, no matter size or depth. Just cry straight into your pot. Turn it off whenever you can. The heat under your pot or the thoughts laser light show laser light showing through your mind or the unsolicited opinions about what your soup needs like maybe a little lemon zest they'll say or another pinch of salt turn it all off and let it sit for a while sometimes you won't be able to sometimes the knob will be stuck on high flames blackening the heavy bottom of your pot boiling the soup over encrusting chunks of love and time and tears to the bottom of it chunks that will leave bubbled black scars no matter how much steel wool and elbow grease you use you will be certain that your soup is ruined, your pot ready for the trash bin. But do not dismay, or do dismay. This whole thing is dismayable to say the least, but don't worry over what seems to be ruined beyond repair. You can repair it, and you will. Maybe with that, maybe with that stupid lemon peel or salt or maybe something else entirely. All I really know is that this soup will not be what you originally hoped for or planned for, not the original award-winning recipe you carefully chose, but that's okay too, or will be eventually. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, the middle of that piece talking about your grandmother just like gave me super chills listening to it. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you, that is just so beautiful. I love that piece. I love that piece that you bring all these elements um, together and you cook them together and it is your grief and it is your life. And it is, you just, oh, my heart is just like so full. You just land on that sweet spot of being honest about what is so hard about grief and also offering us some hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that kind of complexity 
of living with it all. Right? Absolutely. Trying to incorporate it all. Yeah. And I love that you're like, here are some ideas. I don't really know that, you know. <laughs> Try this or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's really beautiful. Because to me, that's grief. Like there's no one size fits all. No. Nope. Right? Yeah. And um, the more we hear that from other people, the more it gives um, people listening more freedom to experience their grief the way they do. Yeah. And we never know what one line will strike somebody, right? Like Maria saying something about the grandmother, right? Is strikes her, you know? So what stays with people? Yeah. 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 So thank you. Thank you. That's just lovely. Um, I was, I love that piece. And I was also curious if you could almost like in a short manner, give us a little bit of your Harvey story. Um, so we have a little more connectable details too. Yeah, totally. Um, so I have a, um, tw she's 12 now. So she was three and a half um, when I was pregnant with Harvey. And, and so that was 2013. And he um, died the day after he was born. Um, and we didn't really know why until a week later when we discovered that I had a um, uterine rupture during his birth that was undetected. It wasn't a complete rupture, but enough that he didn't get any enough oxygen to his brain. Um, and so it just kind of, you know, I was just like walking down the path, doing the things, the career and the marriage and the kids and doing all of that. And then um, the path just ended abruptly ended with him dying. And, um, and so that's when I started writing again. I always had wanted to be a writer when I was a kid and sort of lost it when I started my career in the, my 20s. And um, yeah, so then I just started writing every day or as many days as I could, which like really saved my life. Um, and then a year later, my marriage ended. Um, and so it was just 2013 and 14 were just not great. <laughs> um, and so since then though, I've been you know on this trajectory of um, like we were saying, trying to you know share stories of grief and share my own perspective and you know amplify other people's voices of grief as well. So awesome. So how do you how do you continue to honor and keep Harvey in your life? Um, well, I think one important thing to say, especially with kids, maybe not especially with kids, but is that you know I think about him literally every single day, um, you know, just like I would, just like I think about my living child. Um, and then the main thing that I do is once a year in April, um, around his birthday, as I host a literary um, reading. Um, and it used to be in person and now you and guys have helped me a couple times <laughs> do it online. Um, and so that's a big one. I um, invite um, just anyone is, um, who wants to write and we've had, I've had published authors, people who've never read in front of anyone before and everyone in between and just sharing our, our grief stories. Um, and again, it's like about any, you know, whether it's a, it's usually the loss of a person, I think around Harvey's, but not, but not always, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, other losses of like 
marriage or hopes <laughs> or you know the pandemic one was a lot about sort of the loss of all of the things that we lost during the pandemic so so that's a big way and also I have never stopped talking about him or sharing about him like on social media so I'm really super lucky because um because I I don't I feel like because I'm so open about it other people feel comfortable kind of talking to me about it so like just the other day my friend was in Ashland and she came to Harvey's cafe and took a picture and sent it to me you know so little things like that that kind of keep him keep him alive like for me and and also for my family and community um so you may, you, you said about it just really makes me think like how did you learn to speak so openly about grief um, well, I just was going to die if I didn't. Um, like I just had to, the, the days, you know, that I could write after he died, I would just write and write and write and just kind of get it on the outside of me. And then I started publishing it on a blog or on Facebook. Um, and people really, to my surprise, because <laughs> uh, I thought, who's going to want to read? Like it was pretty journal style, you know? Um, and I would thought like, who would want to read this? But I just posted it anyway. And people really resonated with it. And they loved my writing. I got a lot of good feedback about my writing, but also about that level of vulnerability. Um, and partly that came, like I say, because it really helped me to kind of get it uh, outside of my body. But also because after he died, my family and I got message after message from strangers to like family friends we've always known for decades who had lost children or babies or infertility, um, miscarriages that we never knew. And I would get all of these messages and I would think like, how could I have all these people in my life and have no idea about this struggle? And what that means is that like, I'm dying inside and they've done this completely silently you know, and on their own or in their own way, you know? And so I thought if I can be a person who feels like I need to share, if I can be a voice that, that other people can hear and, and read and feel less alone in their grief, then that felt like a really important contribution. That is huge. That's a huge contribution to grief literacy, right? Because the more you share the way you share, it really does open space for other people too. Yeah, and I went to like a grief support group, a infant pregnancy and infant loss group for a year after he died. And one thing that I, because it, because grief made me really feel like maybe I was losing my mind or having a breakdown sometimes because I felt so not like myself anymore. And to be able to go sit in the group and hear other people say, I also have these thoughts that I never thought I would have, or these feelings that don't feel like my feelings. And so that was part of it too, was like, how do I, you know, that made me feel like, oh, okay, like this is horrible, but normal, <laughs> you know? And we just don't talk about really some of that really icky, hard stuff that happens. And so that was part of it too, was like bringing that. I mean, I don't talk about what other people talked about in the support group, but bringing that, right. that well, feeling out. And seeing like that you are not alone. You're and not that alone. thing that you thought was just the, a thought no one else could have that other people had it too. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the things I've really learned through this process that we've been on is how 
much grief runs through everyone. And even if they're not stories we're sharing, that I, a lot of people have similar stories. So thank you so much for going out there and sharing your story too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think like how grief is also small <laughs> and daily, you know, when you say that it's like, it's, it's these big losses, but then it's also, you know, that, like with the pandemic, I see it in my kids, like the disappointment of all of the things we were going to do that got canceled. There's grief in that, right? There's, you know, grief in just in everyday life. Yeah. You've heard, I mean, you've heard me say it, like it touches everything. When people initially think of grief, they think of the death of a person, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's so much more than that. Um, what would you say to somebody? I mean, you, you know, you've also, we've had this discussion, like, I don't believe in the stages of grief. I believe in like a before and an after, yet it's definitely different when it's early and raw as, as than it is for you now, nine years later. So now from your perspective, like, what would you say to somebody in, in the early stages of their grief? Or would you say? I know, I always, I, yeah. Um, it's funny, cause I always, I'm sorry. <laughs> The things that automatically come, right? That people say that's like, well, that's not really, no, thank you, but not enough. Um, I think the it, one of the most important things that I remember in the first maybe four or five months was I was sitting in my car and I realized like, oh, this is natural. I can trust grief, right? So when I can't get out of my bed or when I'm laughing maniacally, or I just like have this urge to go outside or eat macaroni and cheese, or I don't know what, right? Like whatever, like the, the directive of grief, like it's, it's a natural organic process and like we can really trust it. And I think it's, so that's, that would be my main thing is that like, I don't know, we always say lean into it, whatever that means, but like allowing yourself to do the things that you need to do, like go in your, you know, like the car screening is always really good, right? Like sometimes, because grief is like, it's not one thing, right? It's despair, it's rage, it's, you know, deep sadness, it's fear, right? It's saying, right, the anxiety that comes along after, it's, so many things, you know? And so I think that that's the main thing is that like, we can really trust ourselves and trust our grief and that, and finding the people who can sit with your grief and hold your grief and don't create more work for you, I think is another piece. And hopefully there's already people in your life when that, when something happens like that, but not always, you know? That's, oh my gosh, I love that you said that because that is also something that doesn't always get talked about that um, people who can hold it, witness it and not add to it. Yeah. Um, because we just don't like, we don't know how to do this culturally. I think we're getting better at it culturally um, and we get better at it through stories like yours. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for all of that that you shared. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna ask you, how does your grief show up for you now? You say. Uh, I remember in my 
grief in my support group, they used to say, uh, it doesn't get better, but it gets easier. And I like that because, I mean, it does get better. Like I don't cry at the grocery store and, you know, like I can really go through my life pretty normally now. Um, it shows up for me now so much more, um, which this is awesome, uh, <laughs> uh, reflecting on this because it shows up to me as a much more whole experience, like kind of like that story, right? Where it's like, it's my grief has really taught me how to like live in the paradox of, of being human. Like it's probably my best teacher, you know? Because when I think about Harvey, it used to hurt so bad. And, and now I just feel so much love and so much gratitude um, for him. And it definitely, I mean, right in my writing, is, it, it really shows up. You know, I can really find a lot of emotion and, and connection when I'm writing or even reading my reading my writing on something like this um and there's a sweetness to it now that mm, nostalgia is maybe not the right word but I don't know we don't have the right language we don't have the right words but it's definitely a, a much more complete and whole experience that I can handle right that's very manageable that's awesome I, I love that because it that gives people hope you know, yeah. if they're in the earlier stages and yeah. I'm sure lots of people will be listening to you and nodding their heads that that's, they've had that similar experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when it feels like it never will be anything but horrible, right? I mean, if someone said that to me back then, yeah, I would have been like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop talking about that wholeness. Yeah. There's not wholeness in the brokenness. Yeah. That's later. That's later. <laughs> Yeah, is, is there anything like as we're talking, is there anything that popped into your head that you'd like to share that we didn't ask you about? And it's okay if it's not, I just, you know, I love this conversation. Yeah. I don't think so. I think that those are, I mean, I guess one thing that I have been, that I've been thinking about a lot recently um, just from my other line of work um, is um, how much, another thing that we don't talk about a lot is the physical symptoms of grief and how those are so real. Like, like even broken heart syndrome is a real thing, right? Where a, a person loses their, their spouse or someone very close to them and then has heart attack like symptoms or a heart attack or dies, right? And that's the very extreme example of it. Um, but that when we're grieving and it's, and it's when it's the early stages, it's the anniversaries, it's the birthdays, it's the random Tuesdays, right? Where it just comes up and we feel nauseous and our skin feels prickly and we're, you know, we can't sleep or we're extra irritable or, you know, things like that, that, that I think are also really important to acknowledge, acknowledge and address, like taking a bath or taking a nap or going for a walk or, you know, the kind of things that, that 
um, address that stuff. Cause that was stuff that, I don't know if that was for you too, Annie, but that stuff took me really off guard. <laughs> but what a physical experience it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not expect that. I mean, the, I knew how my body was going to feel from all the crying because I yes. always cried, but I've never had never, had never cried like that, but all those other sensations and that so, so, so exhausted and not sleeping and what kind of state that puts your body into. Yeah. I think it's really, I love that you brought that up. I think it's important that people hear that too. And that's all part of the process. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's another thing that you can trust, yeah. right. And that you can use to, to help yourself move through because it really does live in your body, you know, and the more that we can, the more that we can move it and process it and care for it is the better we feel, you know? Yeah. The more I'm so with you, like getting out of your body, turning it into arts, turning it into conversations. Yes. Anything else? No, no. I, I, one more, like, are there any, cause you are so good at being resourceful. Are there any resources that you'd like to share with people who are listening? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I like to, you know, speak to people with infant or pregnancy loss or child loss, you know, so um, I know this will be further than um, Portland, but here we have briefencounters.org and that um, they have local resources for um, infant and pregnancy loss, subsequent pregnancies after a loss, um, a variety of different things. And their website also just has resources if people are out of town. Um, and then I'm not sure, sometimes they're also still doing Zoom meetings. So now it's also more available to other people. Another one here in town is the Dougie Center, and that's a place for grieving children. Um, and that my daughter has gone to that for years and it's been a real life, life changer um, for her, you know, in terms, of, in terms of support. And then just like read, right? Like there's so many memoirs um, are my favorite um, and podcasts. And, you know, there's a lot, you have to dig a little bit, but there is, you know, grief support out there in the form of, of art and, and books and yeah. And you're making your own and contributing to the world too. Yes. Which we super appreciate. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Monica. We truly appreciate you taking the time to share your story and being so open and we're sending you all of our love. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me and inviting me and for doing this. This is gonna be another huge contribution by you guys of you know, getting this conversation and like my little bio of like changing the culture. You know, that's, it's so important that we feel less alone. And so I appreciate your work too and being able to collaborate. Oh, thank you. We, we love working with you. We're all in this together. Yes. <laughs> So thank you everybody for hopping on and hearing us today. And we just love to say, be good to yourself, be kind to your heart, drink plenty of water, um, do something nice for yourself today. And if you have the bandwidth, do something nice for somebody else. Please come back. We love you like crazy. We love you, love you, love you. We'll see you next we'll see time. You later. Bye. Bye. Bye.